the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 335. I am Paul Spain. Uh, Nate Dunn. And I'm Mark Derrickett. Welcome along, gentlemen. Thank you both for uh, for joining the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thanks for having me, Paul. Well, it is. Uh, I thought that the reason why I wanted both of uh, both of you on the show this week is last week was Google I/O, and well, amongst our uh, our regulars and semi regulars on the New Zealand Tech Podcast, uh, you, I guess. Uh, you know, two that are involved in uh, in the world of um, development, software development, and of course Google I/O is uh, Google's uh, developers conference, uh, and you're both reasonably uh, reasonably well um, versed in the Google ecosystem, being uh, Android users and all that sort of thing. So uh, I thought, well, this would be uh, this would be an ideal chance to uh, to have a bit of a catch up and to. Um, Shoot the breeze about uh, about Google I/O. Um, so we'll talk about that this uh, this episode. Also, um, some new technology from um, from that big consumer electronics company known as uh, Nestle uh, and the new uh, their new Milo um, activity tracker. Uh, it's pretty exciting uh, for the kids. Uh, I want to talk about. Home internet usage in New Zealand and uh, and what the new uh, usage stats are there and what that actually means and a um, a San Francisco Bay Area uh, company, a big cloud company uh, that is opening up a uh, support base here in New Zealand is going to be employing a whole bunch of people, which is kind of cool. So let's uh, let's jump straight into uh, Google I/O, which was uh, last week. Now, lots and lots of announcements, as there always are uh, at these ev- sort of events. Um, one of the bits that I thought was quite curious is this um, Google Lens and the idea that you've got an app, which um, it's not available in New Zealand yet, from what I can see. Have you guys had any uh, any luck with uh, with getting Google Google Lens yet on not, your... Not at all. I don't even have the, the current operating system, so... What device are you using? I'm using the Huawei P9 Plus, and I'm still stuck on Android M. Oh. You can't load... Why are they mucking you around with not giving you access? Well, they they, they, actually got back seven. To, they actually got back to me last week when I put in a request and, and asked them about that, and they said, "Oh, we're still testing it for New Zealand or whatever." So, hopefully soon. Okay, because we seem to be a bit behind the rest of the world there, don't we? Hmm. Okay. Just a little bit. All right. Well, um, never mind. So, uh, yeah, the, the Google Lens. So, it sort of acts a little bit like a. Um, uh, a search engine through your camera was one description I, I saw for it. You, you know, you pointed at something, and then it's going to go away and uh, and find those things for you. I thought the most impressive one, and I, I hope this is the Google Lens one. Otherwise, it's going to be very embarrassing. Was the, the the example was you could be at someone's house and you needed to load in the details for the Wi-Fi. Paul's nodding his head, so I am on the right path. Um, so you could, and the, the example was you could crawl under a desk and take a. Uh, use Google Lens to pull the details off the um, the router, which I thought sounded fantastic. Whether it would actually work in practicality, I don't know, but I thought it was really cool. Yeah, so, yeah, it mm. seems, I mean, it does seem like something that you definitely do from time to time. You're in a different uh, different house. I had that when I was in an Airbnb um, a, week, a week or two back, and... Yeah, the details were on the on the back of the the router, and so yeah, just being able to point your camera at it and have that load and pull those uh, pull the the settings through or you know pull through what's needed to connect you to the wireless access point is um, yeah, it's a good idea. I, I just think the one part that would be really nice to tack onto the end of that is some way to share that with someone else because inevitably you'll have Google Lens, the other person, for example, Mark won't, and so you could actually crawl under the desk. Use Google Lens, get the details, and then somehow send them to him. So he's not like, okay, well, I'm going to call under this and take a photo, or have to type it in. Oh no, it's much better if the you know the whole family has to uh, has crawl to crawl under, crawl, under uh, crawl under and 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 find it. That's that's surprise you get for crawl. Yeah, no, there should actually be a, there should be a next level above that, shouldn't there? Maybe a little button that they could put on the router so you don't have to crawl, and then you find ah, oh, 
There is something it's technology called that. Is it WPS that. that does? Yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, I think it's it is a good it is a good idea. There are there are some other mechanisms for letting you to connect to uh, wireless access points. Yeah. So they've already had their other it's kind of like services a while ago where you'd take photos of like street signs and it would do the automatic translation, and that was I guess one of their entries into doing like visual detection of this is what the word is in Japanese and then we'll turn that back into English or vice versa. Yeah, we've seen them in Microsoft doing something pretty similar down that track, haven't we, for yeah. uh, for a num- number of years. And this is just taking that to the nth level of a lot more processing and a lot more machine learning, I guess, and... It's good. It's good use of their uh, their cloud resources. A good way to you know demonstrate what the, what their um, what their machine learning capabilities are. I think one of their examples was where you pointed at a, a plant or a flower that uh, you're wondering you know what is this, and it will go away and actually be able to identify um, exactly what it is. Well, hopefully a little bit more than that, Mark. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, th- thank you, thank you for that. So they also <laughs> announced their big new um, was it the TPU cluster machines for doing all their machine learning hardware stuff yeah so looking quite interesting i have to admit that whole part glazed over it looked cool it was shiny not quite sure what was going on i think basically it means you've got big servers you can do more machine learning that's that's it well i think what 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 we're seeing is we've got the traditional chips that we've been used to as a um, computer processor or CPU central processing user unit that you know we've always had in computers, and then um, you know there was a time uh, for a number of years we had what was called a maths coprocessor that handled mathematical calculations better. Now ultimately that sort of got built into um, you know the core chip inside your computer. Uh, and then along came the um, uh, the GPU, the graphics processing unit, and you know that's you know still very common uh, today, of course, as well as that capability sometimes being built or being built into a lot of uh, CPUs as well. And now we're seeing these, um, you know, I guess um, you know custom chips that are designed for quite specific purposes. And with varying levels of uh, of flexibility, uh, you know, Microsoft going back uh, last year, were, you know, they announced what uh, what they you know were offering within their cloud environment, which was this idea, um, you know, of custom chips that basically can be programmed um, for all sorts of different purposes. Uh, you know, rather than having a, a very um, you know, lim- a limited to one particular purpose, and then yeah, Google have gone down this track um, with these TPUs being um, you know special uh, chips that are very much focused, as as Mark says, on um, on delivering their artificial intelligence. Is that what you said? Yeah, I think from my understanding is it's the TensorFlow processing unit, which is based around their TensorFlow um, machine learning, machine intelligence platform that they open-sourced about a year ago. And that's... I, I haven't really looked at it too much. I, I know other people who haven't, but it's basically a way of writing programs that then do flow processing and distributed processing across different nodes and taking advantage of a full kind of cluster for just taking bits of data and doing mass analysis and stuff like that, which... Mm. Far too clever for me. Yeah, far too clever. But it's it's all part of the competition now. As we have, I guess three. Well, there's more than three, but the you know the number number of companies that are really competing for the um, the investment and uh, you know usage of their cloud services. Obviously, you know Amazon still being the the, the biggest player in uh, in the cloud services. Um, space, but organisations are certainly having a or keeping a pretty close watch on what uh, you know Google and Microsoft and others are uh, are doing as they uh, as they compete more. And uh, yes, yeah, as part of what Google has to do to uh, to get attention, and they certainly have to be doing some unique things uh, for the various users of uh, of cloud services and uh, uh, cloud platforms to want to uh, want to utilize them so uh, it's it's all part of that play and it's interesting that they're also moving they're making quite a concerted effort to move a lot of the stuff to actually run on iPhones and things that aren't just Android because that will just that opens them up to that entire market space 
Yeah, it's fair to say for a long time that they have been across uh, iPhone, but yeah, they have been holding a bunch of things back so that they were Android only in the past, right? And now they're uh, they're making those uh, more broadly available, like Google Assistant available on iOS um, is what we were told, but uh, no no sign of it for me yet anyway on uh, on the iPhone so um, but these these things are, are certainly starting to starting to come out on uh, on iOS and in some markets uh, I do wonder how um, how quickly Google will uh, will make all all of the the products that they've announced all of the software they've announced available on a really global basis because it is somewhat frustrating when uh, when the big the big companies, the uh, Googles and Microsofts of this world, who you know, are really innovating with a lot of their software, uh, make announcements, and then you find that you are in the part of the world that can't uh, can't actually utilise what they're uh, what they're offering. It happens way too often. Way too often. Yeah, I yeah. quite like the announcement where they talked about the um, the new payment stuff, and I admit I watched the I haven't watched the full um, announcement. I watched the cut down version. And they talked. To, and I don't know why I missed it the first time. Where they talked about um, payment handling. So, as a developer, from my point of view, um, when you're trying to have a startup or you've got some cloud-based product, the payment gateway is a big part of what you want to do because you've got obviously need some sort of revenue. So, Google was talking about ticking all those boxes of having a payment system that you could quite easily use. And I know Stripe's just opened up to everyone here in New Zealand. Yeah, in New Zealand, so that's broadly available here. Um, so it's really good to, and but who knows how long Google's going to take to get through the banking system so that they can actually put money into our accounts. So I, that was a big highlight for me. It would be um, nice to have Google putting money into all of our accounts, wouldn't it? It would be. It would be very nice. Well, they're uh, they're already geared up uh, to you know a fair degree already because of um, the Play Store and so on. So uh, you know, people around the world can be uh, selling their apps with Google. So. It shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be too many hoops for them to shouldn't jump be. through, but yeah, I mean they've made they made a whole lot of announcements, really, didn't they? Around Google uh, Assistant, and yeah, that that was certainly a, a curious uh, bit. And there was a uh, there was a demonstration where um, one of the one of the team there went in and, and placed an order, and the payment bit of it just was able to deal with this uh, whole order on their behalf, handle the payments and. Uh, and away you go. I guess another uh, another option to compete with uh, with Uber Eats, maybe. So I'm not. I didn't see the whole end to end process there in terms of how that order would work. I guess it would uh, would vary according to who you're ordering from, whether they've got delivery, whether you have to go and pick it up, and so on. I suppose they've got your GPS, so they know where you are. They know everything. They are Google. Ooh. Yes, uh, but uh, yeah, an interesting uh, an interesting taste of what's to come in those demonstrations. Now, one demo I did really uh, like, or and uh, this was on um, on a couple of other sites. I don't know that it was part of the uh, the keynote as such, uh, but was a, a demonstration on the ability now for third-party developers to utilize uh, the Google Assistant technology and actually put it in their devices. So they worked with a third party to create a robotic cocktail mixer. Now, the hardware and the software, I believe, for this have been open-sourced. So if you want to make one of these for for your home uh, or your office and you want to be really cool, then... um, you now have the uh, have the option of doing so, uh, and yeah, that looked uh, actually looked pretty uh, pretty cool. And the idea you can you know walk up to your uh, bartending machine and have a chat to it, find out what's on the menu uh, today, and uh, and place your order order, and then the, the machine would mix up your uh, uh, your cocktail for you. That's um, mental. Seems uh, that's that seems really cool. Could you use uh, something like that in your uh, in your cafe, Nate? You'd get some kudos for being you'd, uh, you'd very, re- very cutting edge, wouldn't you? For that, yeah, you'd really need to program it to have some banter, though. Yes. So you'd you'd need to have it be friendly and remember who the person was. You, we're probably going to end up eventually getting there. Uh, at the moment, it's probably a little bit far, but it does need the banter because if people just wanted a coffee, they would use the coffee machine that most people have in their offices. So it's not just about the product; it's also about the experience. 
And I think with uh, they actually programmed it up with some jokes built in as well. So there's a, you know, a little bit of being able to cater oh, to that. But uh, but how good its banter would be, whether it would be with up to your banter level, Nate. Um, you know, I wonder what it would what it would get to on the banter uh, banter level um, scale. I my, guess that will come in time with future artificial <laughs> intelligence capabilities. My banter level has to be very high because I can't make coffee or cook food, so that's all I've got. Uh, so it's a very high level of banter, so I can distract you while the staff do the staff things. Do the good, do the good stuff, and the, the stuff you're actually paying the money for. <laughs> um, I thought um, the other thing, adding on to that demonstration that you you saw, Paul, I liked the um, the assistance. Uh, the example that they had was a guy had a a, a soccer match, I think, or a, a baseball match, or something like that, where the home actually popped up and said, "Hey, look, we know you're going here. This is the route you're probably going to take." There's really heavy traffic. You're going to need to leave a little bit. Oh, earlier. proactively, yeah. So this was with uh, the Google Home uh, device, which isn't officially available in in New Zealand uh, either at this stage. Although, um, yeah, there's there's a fair bunch of them um, out there, and uh, yeah, it sort of lit up. And I guess he noticed it, so it wasn't enough that it sort of interjected and say. You know, hey Nate, uh, get off the couch, mate. You need to be uh, over to and uh, and get going because uh, because of the the traffic out there today. But I guess that's something that will improve over time. But the you know the idea that you can get a proactive alert about something. And in fact, I had a flight recently that I went for it, and it was a late night flight. I think it was uh, I was due to check in about quarter past uh, midnight, and on the way. On the way to, or was it another flight? One of my flights recently in the last uh, few weeks. Anyway, I was heading. I was heading to the airport, and I got um, held up by roadworks on on one route, and then I got past that and thought, "Yep, all is good." And then there was a road. Cl- uh, there was a road closure on another road, and the whole thing was just quite a nightmare. Messy. And I, but I did get there um, just ahead of of the uh, the cutoff time. But uh, on this occasion, Air New Zealand had, um, or the, the the staff that were working had decided that uh, everybody was there for the flight, and uh, it was all good. And so the uh, the all the check in counters and everything were closed, and I was still ahead of the. Um, the 60 minutes that I was supposed to be there, you know, ahead of um, for premium check-in, uh, but everything was closed up. But fortunately, I found somebody and I managed to get on my on my flight. Premium check-in even, not not normal check-in here, Mark. And I say this with tongue-in-cheek because I also use premium check-in. So oh. have you had any um, any flight stories um, recently, Nate? And I know this is, this is the sort of stuff that should all be going um, on online uh, on traveltalk.nz our new uh, travel website but Nate you had a uh, you were just mentioning something before uh, before we started I, a bit of an experience I had a flight where I was celebrating a friend's birthday on uh, Saturday night and may have had one too many brewskis and was feeling a little bit ill as one may feel ill and uh, yeah and you got special treatment I got very special treatment I got moved from the very front of the plane... What, were you seat 1A or something? I was 1B, actually, uh, to not so much 1B. I was a lot further down the back of the plane. Uh, the lady was a little bit worried that I may share um, things the, with the rest the, of the plane. The contents she, of your insides. With, with the rest the, of the plane. And uh, she didn't really appreciate that, so pushed me down the back. Well, if you'd done that at the front of the plane and everyone had to walk through it, that wouldn't that be That would have been so quite horrible. The but back I, of the plane, you could easily got to the toilet as well. Well, I think what had triggered it off is I said to the lady, look, I'm feeling a little bit, little bit queasy. May I have a sick bag? And she straight away went, why? Why do you want this? And I explained my story and she kicked me to the back. But I think it was... That's it where was, they keep the sick bags. Yes. Um, but there was a younger guy on there who sort of looked at me like, I wouldn't have moved you. But it wasn't a big problem. I ended up falling asleep, slept the whole flight on the way back, so... I could have been sitting at the front or in the middle or at the back. Didn't make any difference. Slept the whole way through. So, hmm. great, so yeah. great story. On uh, on the on the travel front, I was in uh, Hawke's Bay uh, last week talking at a conference, and uh, so I spent a little bit of extra time there because I haven't been for for quite some time. 
and uh, the nicety was really fast internet in both hotel. I'd stayed in two different hotels, really fast internet, and the same in the uh, Koro Lounge, which was, uh, I guess, a change of where we were a few years ago. It would be very common to get into a hotel, pay an exorbitant price, get really average internet. Uh, both uh, hotels had uh, free internet, and you know it wasn't that long ago you you check into a, a you know a um uh you know four or five star hotel and you'd be paying a reasonable sort of room rate and then they would want to charge you another 10 20 30 dollars to uh, to use the internet so um that was very nice and i think a benefit of the ultra fast broadband uh rollout in new zealand that uh, all of these places have got good fast internet and uh yeah, it's, uh, it makes life a lot easier. Um, do, you, do you think the UFB has also affected, this is a very much a first real problem, how Coro used to have a password that was published for the Wi-Fi. Now there is no password. It's just could public. They, it, just you, public. Could, you could just sign on. You can now just sign on. You don't need any details. It just signs you in. It, uh, maybe that's UFB as well? I, I think it's actually, it's just that it's that it's an annoyance. It's, it's an annoyance and it's a customer experience improvement. When you have to, when you have to, jump through hoops to use it mm. a lot of people just don't bother and so you you know you end up using up your you know your own data cap and so on because it's a hassle to have to go in and do it and you kind of only jump through those hoops to use the wi-fi if you're going to do something that's quite data intensive true uh whereas yeah now when you when you use um in new zealand's wi-fi in the in the lounge you connect once and they say they'll you know they'll kind of remember that connection for up to uh up to 90 days so if you leave your phone on to you know auto connect to that wi-fi access point then you could be in rarotonga one day you could be in auckland the next or whatever and away you go uh, a little point about rarotonga because um, it's the place that costs you um a lot of money to use internet because it only comes in over satellite. I found, um, don't know if I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again anyway. I found the one place in Rarotonga where you can get unlimited internet uh, is in New Zealand's Kuru Lounge. Um, I found on the average speed was well below one megabit though. Um, uh, but uh, but it was very nice to be able to get unlimited uh, internet. So, <laughs> Does that but, not but, kind of pose a potential security risk? If, you, if they're no longer asking for passwords, you're just connecting to some Wi-Fi. Good point. But the, the password was always a city, I think, or a town in New Zealand. Uh, so, and I remember you could often, people would often message people outside Coro and say, this month, I don't know how, was it monthly they changed it or two weekly or however long they changed it? So, it's not really changing much. And I, I think the average business person that's going through, if you had created another access point that was like Wi-Fi 2 and had a password on it that was also the same town, probably would have signed on to it regardless. Right. That's so where she used the uh, the VPN. Always always use the VPN on Wi-Fi if you want to be um, a, little bit, a little bit safe here or don't use Wi-Fi at all. Um, yeah, lots, lots more to talk about or lots more things that could be talked about from... Um, from Google I.O. Um, one other thing, standalone uh, virtual reality headsets. Uh, Google has announced their standalone uh, devices. So they're saying, look, no PC. So they're making a little bit of a, uh, um, I, I guess, you know, highlighting Microsoft to have, you know, announced their um, varying virtual reality and, and mixed reality uh, headset options uh, that you connect to a PC. They're saying no PC, no smartphone Required, I guess. Effectively, they're going to have a lot of similar smarts to a smartphone in the standalone uh, headsets, but I imagine they'll be doing some, um, you know, some some good stuff to give reasonable performance. That's maybe a step up on um, on what what we've seen to date, um, and a bunch of partners like um, Lenovo, uh, HTC, uh, who we know for their uh, uh, Vive. Um, headsets, uh, Lenovo that are doing a um, uh, Windows-based uh, one as well. So um, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be curious to watch. Um, for 
a lot more uh, coverage on Google I.O. Check out the new podcast that we launched uh, last week on uh, worldpodcasts.com network, which is the mobile tech podcast um, with Tank Girl Miriam Joie. um, And on her latest episode that comes out this week, um, she's got uh, Mr. Mobile uh, of Android Central, uh, and they're talking a fair bit about uh, about Google I.O., uh, amongst other uh, topics. So that one's well worth a listen. I think they're also talking about the um, HTC U11, uh, BlackBerry Key 1, and uh, and some, some other things. So that one is, uh, is definitely well worth uh, subscribing to as well. Um, and uh, Miriam was at Google I.O. Uh, there in San Francisco last week, so a little bit of... Uh, uh, you know, hear it from uh, someone that was on the ground there. Um, any? Oh, what else do we we have? There were a couple of other things we wanted to talk about around uh, Google I/O, a particular new language there, Mark. So yeah, so they announced that um, uh, Kotlin, which is a programming language from JetBrains, who make the IntelliJ IDEA development tools, they open sourced and wrote this language. It's been around about two years, two three years now. Well, maybe a bit longer, but it's still relatively new. They've just announced that Kotlin is now a first-class language for Android development. This is essentially, you could could look at it in a similar way how Apple announced Swift. It's a, a new language, a new way of developing. It's cleaner and easier than Objective-C or Java. It's got less warts, little nice features to make things a lot simpler to, to work with and stuff. There's a, a lot of things in there as a language that it's also not just a mobile language for Android. People are using it for server-side tools. Uh, JetBrains are using it for their own internal tooling as well. So it's a, a general-purpose language that's kind of like a better Java. And there's some really nice features in there for specifically for Android as well. And does that, with the... And not that I've done any um, Android... De- development does that mean that it's it's quicker and it's easier for people trying to pick it up or like what why would i why would i develop in that when i could just use raw java well the 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 current i mean the current java coding style of stuff with android is you've got a whole of xml files for like your resources and your some of your layouts and stuff and and code and bits and pieces whereas kotlin provides some nice kind of like type safe dsls to use a fancy term, mm. that means you're not jumping between an XML file that's not actually a programming language and your code. It's all kind of together in together one. Makes it. And there's a lot of streamlined things that make it a lot simpler. Um, Kotlin does a lot of null safety things, so you can't have null values, so you don't get a lot of those errors that you might get with yeah. dangling pointers and that kind of stuff. And so in theory, it's going to make life a bit quicker and easier for, for developers. Yeah. It, for end users, they won't really see anything other than maybe less crashes. That's, so all, as, that's, as, always, that's always a good thing. Yeah. So as, as far as the consumers are going to notice, they're not actually going to notice anything because there's quite a few applications that are already written in Kotlin in the Play Store and, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, we also heard about Android Go, which is a, an optimized version of Android, uh, which, of course, is by far the most popular um, operating system on smartphones today. Um, but Android Go will be targeting those lower-end phones, which that makes sense to have something that's just going to run a little bit better. And also, um, the Google Play Store is going to highlight apps that are optimized for Android Go, so there will be you know apps like uh, YouTube Go that will be uh, you know be focused um, on uh, you know running on those devices, um, and they're also saying that um, uh, YouTube Go will allow for um, um, offline uh, sharing of uh, of video content without using uh, mobile data. So that's mm. that sounds kind of uh, interesting. Um, one other thing that was mentioned is this um, figure that live streaming over the past uh, 12 months 
uh, the amount of live streaming going on has increased by 400%, which would sort of make sense because live streaming's really only come into its own over the last sort of 12 to uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, so Google have announced a new product called Super Chat, which is designed to be a live uh, chat uh, tool uh, for those that are doing live streaming. Um, and interestingly, it will al- allow those that are uh, that are watching the live stream to uh, to donate funds to the live streamer. So it sort of you know becomes a uh, method for them to have their you know supporters um, you know help them actually from a financial uh, perspective. And there's some interesting ways uh, using their. Uh, um, APIs apparently that you can you can tie things together. So there was a a, a demo. Uh, they had the the, the slow mo guys do a live stream, and uh, if, if, with, upon a donation of five hundred dollars, uh, the guys got uh, pelted with five hundred water balloons. Um, so what a uh, what a world we live in. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know some programmatic uh, hookups there, which I thought was. Uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of fun. So one final bit of Google news. I don't think it was actually mentioned at I/O, but um, Hangouts uh, today was the official cutoff for supporting the SMS. So and no more texting. No more texting from Hangouts. Google un- Hangouts, unless you've got Google Voice or Project Fi. <laughs> okay. Which no one in New Zealand has, I don't think. Um. Yeah. Probably not officially. No. Yeah. Well, certainly. Uh, Oh, Project Fi work globally? I can't remember if it does. I have a feeling that that it does. It might do, um, but you certainly can't. You can't. You can't easily get it outside the US. Uh, now, on to other topics. I have in my hot little hand this little green um, a chocolate drink. No, well, I've got something from the the brand that sells a chocolate drink from Milo, which is a, a Nestle product. Uh, their press release told me that Nestle are the biggest food company in the world, um, and I guess Milo is uh, is kind of their most kid friendly brand because they have decided that young people today are spending far too much time looking at screens and gadgets and doing uh, non uh, running around and uh, and keeping themselves young type uh, type activities. So, what better to do than Build your own gadget. So yeah, so they've launched a um a little, and it looks very sort of Fitbit-like, but it's uh, it's got some subtle, uh, m- very subtle Milo uh, branding on the band. But it is uh, it's a Milo, br- it's called the Milo Champions uh, band. Uh, it's forty dollars, so it's a lot cheaper than uh, than the the Fitbit, for instance. But you know, we know from some of these gadgets coming out of China uh, that they're um, that they're very they're very low cost to uh, to make, uh, but they've got a, uh, a little app that uh, I fired it up on uh, on iOS, and you basically, you know, as a as a parent, you can sign up, uh, <coughs> run up the app, and then you can. You know, I think you can potentially have multiple uh, multiple kids with these things. So, you know, if you are wanting to, uh, you know, just just check how active your your kids are or in, encourage uh, that, then. Um, this could be um, a tool that you might like to uh, use. So I'm going to ask my son and see if he will, uh, if he will wear it. Um, and if you get to them young enough, then they're uh, then they they probably cope with it. As they get a bit older, they might not be uh, uh, so interested. Um, I tried to put it on myself because I thought, oh, that's a, that's a good idea. I got myself a new uh, fitness band. No chance. You I- tried that too, didn't you, Nate? Yeah, my wrist is way too fat for that, and yeah. I think you're in the same club. Yeah, so there might be some of our audience that uh, tried out. I mean, it's actually it's got quite a nice a nice little uh, nice little display, and you you tap to uh, bring up different stuff. So it's got um, calories burned, uh, your uh, how much time you've been doing exercise for. It's got a sad face that I'm only through one percent of. Uh, the exercise that I need to do for the day, which is fair enough, <laughs> considering I haven't been wearing it, so um, it's just been sitting there. And then it's got a um, it's got a time and time and date on it as well. Um, so you know it does act like a like a watch. Um, so that's kind of kind of good. Could be good good a good sort of first watch for for a youngster actually. I think Mark though you did point out that we, you felt that it not being waterproof. 
Yes, it does. It was a bit it, of a big red flag. It does mention in the little pamphlet that it's not waterproof and shouldn't really be worn near water. And kids like water. So I... It, uh, it's an interesting point, and, yeah, and I guess uh, it depends how wet you get it. Especially, uh, it's got a rubber surround, though. I mean, I'm just looking at it. it; fits in there quite snugly. So, I would say it would probably handle most splashes, okay, even though it's not warranty for it, right? Yeah. So maybe not swimming, but I was also more thinking like just getting caught out in the rain. I think it would be fine in the rain with my look at it because it's it's pretty much enclosed in that sort of rubber, the rubber surround, and it's quite snugly fitting. That's yeah. my that's my uh, opinion, but yeah, of course, if it does get ruined in the rain, uh, yeah, sorry, folks, mm-hmm. um, another forty bucks, I suppose, or uh, or or flag it. But, you'll uh, you have to do some uh, trialing because uh, I don't have kids, and I don't suppose you do. I don't either. No, so sorry, Paul, you got the short straw. No, I'm yeah. looking. I'm looking forward to. It. I think Pablo will be quite excited about. And we can't get it on our wrist. So his, his new gift. So uh, yeah. So thank you to uh, Milo for uh, for sending across a so he, uh, he a has, champions to, he has band. to do the midwinter swim challenge and <laughs> see if it works. <laughs> no, no, I'm not encouraging swimming with it. All right. So that's the um, that's the the smart uh, or the the um, the fitness tracker or what activity tracker. Um, anyway, from. Um, from Milo, um, that it, it is interesting because they're talking about fitness and all that sort of stuff. I'm not sure that Milo is the you know is the is the best uh, product from a, a health and fitness perspective. But there you it's go. So delicious though. Now, all right, is that only available from Harvey Norman or is it available uh, everywhere? I think it's probably some other places that have got it, but you definitely can get it at uh, at Harvey Norman. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and and I mean. Yeah, that's where you, that's where you can get it at the moment. So I don't know how these things are going to sell. Maybe you'll be able to get them, you know, on discount sometime in the future. But forty bucks seems all right for what you it's know. Pretty cool. What it is. Uh, now, onto something else that's very New Zealand-ish. Um, this thing's actually the the Milo uh, band is available in Australia and New Zealand, by the way. Um, Something very close to home is got some information through today from Chorus around average home internet usage in New Zealand. And the number just keeps rising. So currently we're just just above 151 uh, gigs a month is the average uh, usage for um, home internet. And they've actually broken it down by region. So you can actually drill in in this particular report and see uh, you know specific areas so for instance across Auckland or and and a lot of the other um, the main centers and they break it down to Waitakere and North Shore and different parts of Auckland um, but when you go through the breakdowns um, the I guess the the well, the facts uh, that they've shared are basically indicating that the areas with ultra-fast broadband, of course, have higher average usage. So if we look at the top of the list was uh, Manukau City, and a year ago the average usage there was 150 gigs of monthly usage. That has risen by 50% to 225 gigs of average users. So they're at the top of the chart. If you go down to the bottom of the chart, then you're really uh, looking at areas that aren't so well uh, hooked up as far as ultra-fast broadband. Now, I didn't drill in and and check the map specifically, uh, but I'm pretty sure those that are at the bottom end of this list are areas that don't have ultra-fast broadband. Uh, But you basically see across most of the areas um, you know, fifty percent increase is is uh, fairly normal. Uh, but at the bottom of the list, they had uh, Buller District last year. Uh, fifty nine gigs was the average. That's gone up forty seven percent to eighty seven gigs. Um, so I guess there are a couple of interesting things about this. Um, oh, and I must mention also got a communication from uh, Orcon. They're saying that. Their customers, and this is, um, I guess, a uniqueness around their customers, is over 50% of their customers have ultra-fast broadband right now, 
and their customer's usage is a lot more on average. So their average is 240 gigabytes per um, per home, and they're saying their users that are on the fastest ultra-fast broadband plan, their, their, um, their gigabit plan, uh, or just shy of gigabit, as, as it ends up being, uh, are using an average of 420 uh, gigabytes worth of data a month. So our usage in New Zealand is uh, is coming along pretty strongly now. We've got all these unlimited plans, and we've got fibre reaching more and more areas all the time. And, of course, we're just doing so much more in, in terms of streaming, whether it's uh, YouTube or Netflix and, um, you know, Lightbox and all the other uh, options there. Um, so... I I had a this issue come up. So swapped my parent. Uh, sorry, my parents, my in laws to wanted to put them on cheaper internet. I went with Flip, not promoting them because I'm getting paid. But Flip had one of the cheapest plans I could find. It was 100 gig. It was 55 bucks. Bang away. Thought it was fine. Parents uh, in laws have Netflix. They don't watch it a lot. I think within about 14 days of swapping them over, they were out of internet. So, yeah. <laughs> so, capped internet plans are, are really becoming a bit of a problem, I think, is... Big problem. And then, to did the you, fact did I you added... Did know it was capped? I knew it was capped, but I, in my mind, they didn't do a lot of browsing. They didn't watch a lot of Netflix, which I found out later that they watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> and then, to add insult to injury, you can add, like, a, a bundle of, like, 50 gig, I think it was, for another 20. So, I was like, look, I'll pay for that. I've messed up. I think it took them three days to burn through that and we were back to where we were they're now on unlimited and happy as but yeah i think i didn't realize how much streaming users well i didn't realize a how much they watched netflix and b how much streaming actually uses well i guess they also don't realize how much they use no no like once I, i know a lot of people who once they get into using like live tv or online tv it's live tv it's 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 not internet yeah they have no concept of how much they actually watch. Well, it's just, it's Netflix. I just, I turn on Netflix and it plays. I, regardless of, like, let's say if they had Sky and it comes through, we understand it comes through the satellite, whereas Netflix comes up through your internet pipe. It, it's just, I turn it on, it's there on the TV. It, the Magic Pixies bring it to my room. I don't know how the Magic Pixies got there. And if they're Magic 4K Pixies, well, then there's... <laughs> you don't need a lot need... Ultra-high definition uses a lot of data, doesn't it? You don't need to watch a lot of Netflix for it to burn through yeah yeah so what what this says to me is that they're they're you know and, and how much these um the usage is moving up is that people need to be pretty cautious around use of the 4g internet connectivity options so um you know spark especially are you know pushing really hard on you know encouraging their customers to be using these services rather than using a DSL or a fiber connection from just various comments that are being you know made made to me around the place so I haven't you know had anybody at Spark sort of pushing it on me but uh it's yeah it's just been interesting to hear the commentary uh from from individuals uh, maybe talking to people within Spark, or they've been uh, they've been sold um, Spark's uh, 4G internet because when you buy that, you know I think you know you're committing to a term, and once you get past that uh, that first 30 days, which is yep, it's working and it's working okay. If your usage habits change, and you suddenly you know say ditch Sky and start watching. Uh, Netflix a lot or whatever in terms of your uh, your changes and habits uh, could become very expensive. I think what I learned from this experience is the difference between having a monthly plan and saving a little bit as opposed to going to unlimited, just go unlimited it saves all the drama um, and it wasn't much more and as you've seen the average is just so high there's really no point in going for a cap, a hundred gig cap. It's just well, I think there are some situations where people don't have a choice. So if you're in a rural location or a location that can't get good fast internet, and this is what I was, uh, you know, dealing with a, f- a few months ago when you know my family and I were looking at buying a home, and it could either get uh, DSL at whatever it was, something like seven megabits, or uh, you know, mobile. 
uh, you know, internet, you know, through the mobile network, but buying you know hundred gig plan and or so on. Um, yeah, I it, it really threw me because I just didn't have the confidence that it was going to uh, deliver for me uh, long term. And yeah, when you're using hundreds of uh, gigabytes worth of information, if you're on a uh, on a mobile connection, that could be. Um, or an LTE-based connection could be very pricey. I think you are in a bit of fantasy land because you said buying a house, and we're in Auckland. Not, no, not going to happen. You can have fibre or a house. Yep, you can't have, you can't have both. Okay, you can you can only have fibre. <laughs> well, I'll share my story another day about getting uh, fibre installed at my uh, my current home that became available on the first of February. Uh, but today we're successfully up and running with fibre. I, I am told. Um, so some sometimes it can be a challenge to get uh, to get in place, um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting to see those stats. It does seem to that be that we're continuing on most years with 50, around fifty percent increase in average usage. So if we're getting that uh, average at one hundred and fifty one uh, gigs today, you know, nationwide, including those uh, you know outside of the uh, ultra fast broadband areas. Then yeah, I'd say we're easily gonna gonna be uh, you know fifty percent increase on that in um, an, in another year's time, and then in some areas we're seeing those figures a lot bigger. So you know around Auckland, uh, you know around two hundred gigs being pretty typical. So next year probably uh, three hundred uh, gigs, and 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 not just just Auckland, but uh, yeah other um, other centres that have got uh, got lots of. Um, Lots of ultra-fast uh, broadband and, and high-speed uh, connectivity. For instance, you look at um, at Wellington City, and their yeah their average usage there is 100 and, uh, 170 um, gigs, up from 110 last year. I wonder if they could. I oh know they can. They could analyse the traffic and actually say with the explosive growth we're seeing is because of you know the streaming video on demand, or it's because people are Skype calling relations or or, or whatever. It would be, I think if you could drill down into a bit more the finer, not exactly what they're doing, but just more sort of general metrics of exactly what's going on. Although if you're using a VPN, then they don't really have the ability of that. So, Yeah, I mean, all the things I'm hearing are, are very much pointing at the streaming video and even just your example, mm. uh, Nate, from uh, from your, your uh, parents-in-law um, scenario. So uh, you know, I think that, that's pretty normal and we'll see that increase, uh, you know, for, for a fair time to... Uh, to come until, uh, for instance, Sky are no not no longer uh, um, you know doing much over or, or anything over uh, over satellite. Um, now, one other uh, topic that I thought we should chat about uh, this week is that um, Workday, which is a um, um, a provider of um, HR and and financial uh, software, um, they refer to themselves, I think, as a ERP alternative. Um, they're based based out of the um, the broader uh, San Francisco uh, Bay area, but they are establishing themselves in New Zealand with a support centre. So currently, their uh, their call centres are based in uh, the US and also in Ireland. Uh, Seven hundred and fifty people in their. Um, their island uh, call centre, and they're going to be opening in Auckland with a call centre that's going to start out with 140 people, uh, but because they've got a lot of other people in um, in other regions, such as their, their Dublin um, one, and uh, I'm not sure how many people uh, they've got in the US, uh, that number could um, could easily um, grow. So, um, yeah, I think uh, 80... 80 local staff initially by the end of the year, um, but the support centre that they're going into, um, I think, has a capacity for 100 and, uh, 140, and that's going to be in um, the Wynyard uh, Quarter in, uh, in Auckland. So that's um, that's pretty cool. They've also got some um, cool big customers as well, Zero and New Zealand. They've they, yeah, they have some... Um, they've cited as, as two of their, their big yeah, well, customers that you know about. Pretty good customers to start with, yeah. They they certainly uh, they target the, the the bigger end of town, and I would say that's part of the reason why they're uh, they're keeping their support centres 
in loca- in locations like New Zealand, Ireland, and the US, rather than uh, you know like what we see uh, with businesses like telcos who are, who are doing much lower level um, you know lower value transactions and uh, you know firing stuff off to uh, the the likes of uh, you know India and uh, and Philippines and so on. Uh, but yeah, that's the that's the first. Um, instance quite like that that i've uh, that i can recall certainly in uh, in recent times so there, there's uh, probably a fair potential for more of these sorts of things to uh, to happen in new zealand so i think that's uh, that's really good um i think that's us for this week so yeah thanks everyone for listening in uh do check out and i mentioned it before the uh, the mobile tech uh, podcast that we launched on uh, worldpodcast.com uh last week and if you caught our sort of in-between episode uh, over the weekend, we, um, well, a few days ago, probably about a week, a week, or just over a week ago, uh, recorded a, uh, a podcast covering uh, what had happened at Microsoft uh, Build. So that's episode 334 of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. If you, if you missed that, you're just used to your weekly, uh, the weekly episodes coming out on a Tuesday. There's an extra one. Uh, in there, we did um, did hold that back for a few days, but that's uh, that's online now. Um, and uh, yeah, we're up to well, this week we'll have episode two of the uh, the Mobile Tech Podcast out as well. All right, guys, where do we track you down online, Nate? You're always easy to oh, find on Twitter. Just at Nate is me, and then I blog on Geek Zone, but I actually haven't blogged for ages. And I've got CafeOwner.co.nz where I blog about cafe and tech and stuff, but. I've been a little bit busy, so both are a little bit lagging, but I should bring them up to that shortly. Yeah, that's me. And Mr. Mark Derricket, uh, you can Talios. Find, you can find me at Talios on the Twitters. How do you spell that? Uh, T-A-L-I-O-S. Ah. Oh, you an iOS guy? No. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I just had to throw that in it there. It is a misspelling of the original Greek that means perfect or complete. I am neither, so the spelling error works well. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. And you can find me at uh, chaliceofblood.org, uh, I think it is, for my f- concert photography. Which is very good, having oh. seen some of it. Thank you. Very, very good. Agreed. And when when have you got a new podcast episode of your own coming out? Uh, hopefully tonight. I still need to go and edit it and finish it up. And We've been podcasting infrequently of late <coughs> just due to time pressure and me going to concerts too often. And remind us, when did you start podcasting? Uh, we are now on our eighth year. Awesome. Wowzers. Or eight and a half year. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, that's us for uh, for this week on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for uh, for joining us. And we'll be back again uh, next week. Uh, if you want to catch up with my, uh, my other updates, I've started doing uh, weekly videos. I do a weekly uh, three-minute uh, video. Uh, you can uh, catch those by... Uh, by uh, finding me on facebook.com slash paulspain uh, and also you can sign up for my newsletters at paulspain.com slash updates alright, thank you, see you later The New Zealand Tech Podcast brought to you by Gorilla Technology Proactive and Strategic IT